0: The guy can't. I, f- I, ain't, I ain't taking <laughs> it, mate. John, if you're listening, give it up now. <laughs> 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 Do you Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of The Enpoch. I am the co-host, Matt, and with me as always is my close friend, the nearest and dearest, it's Tim, before we introduce our specialist of guests today. Tim, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm looking forward to speaking about this one, which is nice uh, one. a nice surprise. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm excited for the surprise.
0: You and me oh. both. Oh, and that little chuckly-wuckly in the background. <laughs> yes, everybody. Brian, not Bryden. Brian, Brian! <laughs> it's Brian. Let's put that to bed and say hello. Good, good. As long as I know who I am, that's all that matters, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Self-awareness and self-identification. What have you been up to since we spoke to you last?
2: Core, cool. been round the world and aye, aye, aye,
0: aye. I can't find my baby. Maybe he just wasn't <laughs> that into you. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of getting less into you being on the podcast after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: big just propped into my head there. But no, good, good, good. Work, work, work.
0: But yeah, loving it. That's all anybody could ask of you, Brian. Well, also, I'd ask you to be your usual charismatic and charming self. That's probably all I can ask of you. But the rest <laughs> of the world, they don't even need that, mate. They just need you. There you go. <laughs> to start with, I thought you were going to do the P. Diddy version of that, or as it was known at that time, Puff Daddy. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> hmm. to be fair that was a good sample wasn't it that round the world one. being around the world and, uh, 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 or something like that
2: well it's funny i was just watching summit on online as
0: you do <laughs> they
2: were interviewing sting he's virtually got to pay two grand a, a week for the rest of his life on that he didn't Stingy-y ask permission
0: track. did he i actually feel like i mean not like racially profiling i suppose but i feel like we got the versions back to front there <laughs> <laughs> if there was anyone on this podcast that was going to start singing Lisa Stanfield, I would have probably said Tim. But after that, it was going to be me. <laughs> Let's get on to the topic at hand But before we do that, I just want to remind you that we are on all your favorite <laughs> listening locations. If indeed you are listening to us on one of those, then please check us out on Twitter and Instagram. We are the end underscore pardon, both those locations. One we do reviews and one, I'm going to say we we collate a collection of the finest art that comics has to give you. And we're also on YouTube, where sometimes we split up the podcast into individual elements and sometimes we do original content. So just because you're listening to us on this platform don't mean you don't follow us on another platform. Please subscribe, please follow. I know what you're thinking. This is just the usual old shit where I I just ask you to follow. I mean it. You're there. You're looking at the button. Push the button. Your finger is on the button. Push the button. Right, okay, now we've got that out of the way. Today's episode is about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And let me tell you guys, I am just the other side of too excited to talk about this. Finally, Finally, I don't want to spoil the general opinion part of this, but let me tell you, this is the best one in fucking ages. (laughs) I am fucking stoked that I've gone in to see an MTU film. And by the way, I forgot this was out. I didn't buy my tickets till the morning. I forgot that it was coming. I didn't watch any of the trailers. I literally went into it only knowing that the film was here. So Mm -hmm. I just went in almost carte blanche and I fucking love this. Film.
2: <laughs> Bruh, Feel about the film, I followed the film, I watched the trailers, I had the tickets booked and yeah, was hyped to go and see it. Hit me, show me what you got, wow me. Yeah. And man, got punches, got laughs, everything, everything.
0: This is the one. And I'm glad you said that as one of your <laughs> explanations, Brian, because that leads me to a question that I always like to ask Tim. At the beginning of these episodes, did this make you cry,
1: Tim? Yes. This actually, <laughs> this actually did make me cry. Now, yeah. yeah.
2: With,
1: it made with me like cry. some very minor, very minor nitpicky complaints. I think this is maybe the best movie they've ever done. It's certainly, it's mm-hmm. the best non Avengers movie they've ever done. And
0: immediately it had that, oh, thank goodness we're here. Thank goodness. Recently, I kind of. And don't have me wrong, I've gone into each of the phase four films and all the TV series, all that kind of thing. I want to enjoy these. I go in wanting to enjoy them. I go in there expecting to enjoy them. Yeah. However, there is a nutrition, And I think as soon as it starts teetering on the cliff, you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, not again. And you're just mm-hmm. waiting for that yeah. first, that <laughs> yeah. first little flaw to come where you're like, oh no. Yeah. But with this, it was so good to be back with these characters with the sadness part, obviously this is going to be spoilers. We never do non-spoilers. There were some sad bits throughout the film, real sad things, and, and we'll we'll get on to some of those, obviously. But the part that made me weepy was almost the very final scene when he reunites with his grandfather. My eyes were glazed, with tears running down my cheeks. Mm. If I tried to speak, I would have wobbled. Like, let's put it that way. <laughs> That's good direction, bruv. One of the things that we all take for granted as humans,
2: every time someone hugged each other, You felt it in your chest. As you say,
0: when he met his granddad, wow, I'm here now. It didn't trope any of the relationships. It had verisimilitude. Let's just say this was a Phase 4 film or any of the dog shit that DC have (laughs) put together in the last God knows how long. Mantis and Drax would have become... (laughs) a romantic they would have romanticized that relationship but to keep it as brother and sister and the way that they play off each other and also in the beginning it's like any real relationship to start with everybody's having jokes and sometimes it might be a little bit barbed but you're thinking oh it's all just jokes and all that kind of thing so everybody's laughing because nobody takes it to heart banter i'm not a fan of banter by the way i think it's just acceptable (laughs) bullying however i do i just think (laughs) i don't Banter is bullshit. it's like picking on someone that everyone Allows it, unless different point altogether. The arguments in Guardians One it's almost purely comic effects where everyone's just like, Oh, yeah, we're new, we're finding each other. Here, they're allowed to just have arguments where they're like, For fuck's sake, yeah. And then, like, there's a scene with Nebula and Mantis where Mantis is saying, Look, people Mm. are just the way they are, you have to accept them, stop looking for the fault. But when it finds you, when people's faults find you, accept them because that's just a part of this beautiful package that makes that individual. And actually, you can't cherry pick people's weaknesses, their strengths. No more than any individual can do it. And I think actually in life, that's a really good lesson to learn because when you become accepting of your own faults, obviously, you have to hold yourself accountable. But when you accept that these are a part of me, my, my successes, my failures are all the part of the same Mishmash that makes me. When you can do that, you're much more accepting of other people's faults. And I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. When you make a mistake, it's a mistake. But when somebody else makes a mistake, oh, that's just how they are. Do you know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) Did you think that the violence, how visceral the violence was? There's one specific early scene where we first introduced to Adam Warlock. You felt the punches, you felt that the heroes, there was a, again, versimilitude to it whereby. Each punch was being felt,
1: like and I was wincing. And yeah. you got the real strength of Warlock at that point as well. You could feel the speed of Warlock, the power. It's all yeah. in the direction there. It's like so excellent. And Matt, when you said the violence of it, I didn't even think about that. When I think of this movie in violence, I'm thinking the emotional violence in the flashbacks. Yeah. There's so yeah. much genuine emotional trauma in this movie. It's such a departure from the typical Marvel mm-hmm. movie.
0: With that, in their heavy-handed way that Warlock was introduced, the physicality that he made me almost concerned of how powerful he was, and how James Gunn, the scriptwriter, how do you give the Guardians any weight? How do you give them any purchase in this film with the, with a the physical conflict? It really took me aback. What an introduction! Yeah. What the hell? Who can stop this guy? I have to
2: applaud Marvel every single flying character does not look the same they're yeah, not you know point. because they did with icarus in eternal was amazing this looks plausible and then comes warlock
0: phenomenal
2: speed and the power at
0: which this being was moving at visceral put some marker down early on we're not fucking about in this one yeah yeah this yeah. is gonna be a powerful a direct almost kind of mindless threat. Even the way that they infantilized him, it it made him more threatening because there was a lack of thought in the
1: way that he did attack. You're talking about like the verisimilitude of the film. It didn't have the typical ramp up of a rising action, then some big battle scene. They throw us immediately into mayhem, which gives it that feeling of, oh shit, Matt, you're saying like, we're not fucking around, but also this is unlike any Marvel film. Like There's not a typical story arc here. You're thrown right into it. Yeah, and the opening set pieces are usually to show
0: where the status quo is. So the one that I'm immediately thinking of is Civil War starts, right? They're in Lagos in Nigeria. Is it Nigeria? Wherever it is, right? And they're showing how their teams come together. They've been together for a little while. The same thing that they do in Age of Ultron. But (laughs) we have a very calm, very relaxed, and then boom, it just comes in. And it's not to show this is where these guys are now. That is shown with the rocket scene, but then it's very quickly snatched away. And it says
1: this is what you're going to have to deal with in this film. I just want to emphasize how emotionally resonant this movie is. As a matter of filmmaking, it's crazy. And one general thought is that how well this movie surprised me because I had no idea really until I watched two-thirds of this movie, how Gunn has been setting up Rocket as the emotional center of Mm, this franchise the entire time. And that was a surprise to me. I I didn't watch any of the trailers going, and I I knew nothing about this movie. I figured we'd have to get some backstory on Rocket, you know, ultimately, in this final volume, but I didn't know that he was going to be the center, and I didn't know that he was really the center of the whole thing the whole time. I thought it was just, like, very surprising and just a beautiful film in that way. Almost with some irony, the
0: MCU has kind of been chasing its own success, the way it presents its films since the first Guardians. Really, it's been with a diminishing return or diminishing level of success ever since that first Guardians film. And that we have a podcast to record this week about the the best and worst comic book adaptations from the year 2017. And when you look at that, it was really starting to separate. We had Logan, Deadpool had just been before, Guardians of the Galaxy. We also had Winter Soldier come out around that time. And from listening to podcasts and from researching it, it's really quite strange how at that point, people were all saying, we don't have superhero films anymore. That's the base of it, but yet we have this spy, we have this space opera. And slowly but surely, it's become very blueprinted. Everything has the Marvel humour, which pretty much originated from this film. The very purposeful humour... I know the, the acquisition of Fox by Disney, which I still think was a horrible idea. The lack of competition, for one, the, the lack of differentiating identities of different studios. But we've kind of iteratively chipped away at these until we have a very generic films. Like I said, they've also been chasing their own success. And for this film to come in and go, this is what you were chasing. Because this does, as you said, the tragedy and the levity and the sense of realism that you have with both Has been lost in the MCU. That blueprint. He has got the mind to do
2: that. He's got the Mm. energy to do it. He's got a vision. Most importantly, he has the ability. There you go. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the world who has experienced Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be clamoring for something that's equivocal and there will be nothing.
0: Restore the Guardians. Oh no, no, (laughs) no, no, please don't. On that (laughs) right. Thank you very much for leading to me, me to my next point. When you think that he was going to be the head of the cosmic side of things, when he was fired, obviously, they didn't progress with that role for him. When you think of the four consecutive films where you had Thor, Love and Thunder, which was a completely dysfunctional space opera, very much in the styling, but failed miserably. Quantum Mania, which while wasn't extra terrestrial. It was like subterrestrial almost, but it still had that yes. fit. We now have this and the next one up to the Marvels, which again is going to be space-based. It makes me wonder what these four consecutive films might have been or could have been had Gunn had his creative DNA, his fingerprints in this continuation of films.
2: There's definitely uh, superhero fatigue, a cinema friend I watched it with, and the cinema I was empty. Really? You know, it's not even half off. Uh, and that happened with Ant-Man as well. Why the man? That was
1: TV. Everything since then, you can get a ticket, no problem. I feel like this one transcends superhero fatigue insofar as they made yeah. a really good decision, which is let's separate this entirely from the continuity, yeah. separate it from the ongoing story. This is a standalone movie about a very discreet thing that comes up. And that was a really good decision. I think, I think there's two factors here. I think after my cousin, caught up with all the Marvel stuff
0: before Mm. Infinity War and Endgame. He said that was the end of the story for him. He'd invested his time, and now there's an ending. I also think that it's not necessarily superhero fatigue. It's mid-fatigue. They've been crap. That's the problem. Mm. There's a Super Bowl every year. There's a Champions League final every year. Nobody's got Champions League final fatigue. (laughs) That's true. Because there's still the event of it. I know sport's different because it's not scripted. Although sometimes, Brian, you could argue that... It is stranger <laughs> than fiction. <laughs> it's simply that, that it's mid-fatigue. DC mm-hmm. fell off a cliff. They went anti-Snyderverse <laughs> as a point. And yeah. the MCU, again, it forgot why it was doing it in the first instance. It put its arc over stories. Like the hierarchy yeah. was flipped on its head. Yeah. And let's not forget as well with the Infinity Saga, that they didn't know they were doing that. They went actively disney ips until that iron man 3 if you look at that's the first one that doesn't have the i think it's the universal intro at the beginning of the film Uh, so all they knew is they wanted to to arrive at the first avengers film that's all they knew Mm. and at that point they started thinking we can look further in the future we have the resilience of the disney brand we have the resilience of our previous success that's when they started looking at and that's why we had three different (laughs) thanos <laughs> they were doing it on the fly. Whereas this, yeah. they're planning it. Yeah. But it just yeah. seems yeah. more disruptive.
2: I think that's a phenomenal point. I was watching the legend thing on Disney Plus about Peter Quill. He's just an every man he built up so much emotional pillowing or cushioning with Gamora because his mother was taken away from him at eight years old and then he was abducted he's the kid who's never learned to deal with his
0: emotions so with
2: Banos yeah. that's just him being an everyman
0: it's funny you should bring that up because yeah. James Gunn now that he's cut and dry of Marvel he's actually said afterwards he never wanted Gamora to be killed off in that film and also the way yeah. that his path for Star-Lord the writers for the two big Avengers films oh, Marcus and McFeeney, I think it is McFeeney. something like that, footnotes. I could have I could have done could have done some <laughs> I'm research right by him.
2: The end game, but
0: that ain't the type of podcast, yeah. we are people. But yeah, he said he didn't like the way that they handled Star Lord in that instance. Yeah. That wasn't Star
1: Lord's path. In the most general sense, how did you think the CGI was? I thought it was awesome. Maybe I was really into the film, but I thought the flashback scenes with the animals, I thought was like, looked great. His buddies like Lila, and then I forget, I, I don't think I caught the other two. Floor and teeth. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought they looked amazing. I thought, especially the animals were really, really cool. And I thought uh, Warlock was, all that stuff looked great. I didn't have any problem with it. I saw it in 3D, so maybe that was a little different, so it really ah, popped. You know the corridor fighting scene? That yeah.
0: was incredibly impressive. It had that John Wick look about it. The way it switched point of view quite frequently, rotated with the movements of the characters. That had to mm-hmm. be all CGI, didn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That was massively impressive. And rocket scintillating the um, skin planet. Yeah. That looked oh. brilliant. However, well, let's let's put it this way: in the way that Quantum Mania, you never felt there was anything. That, off screen. There was never anything over the hill. It's kind of like the green screen was too close. This made me feel like I am in a living, breathing world, especially with that space planet where I had pubes sticking out and all that kind of shit. That was (laughs) amazing. However... I don't want to turn a positive into a negative, but because this is Rocket centric, that they plowed a lot of man hours into Rocket. And I think by comparison, some of the other moving characters didn't quite hold up. There's an instance oh, in the in the first flashback where it goes from Rocket's young eye to his current day eye, fading and out with a close up of the eye. Astonishing. I've never seen mm-hmm. anything look more natural or realistic from cgi however some of the other bits by comparison weren't quite there but it's certainly a massive step up to some of the shit we've seen recently what did you think to the level of animal cruelty in it because there's been a debate online do you think that it went a step too far or do you think that it needed to be done to provide insight into how horrible an individual how bad an actor the high evolutionary
1: was I think the latter, I thought it was extremely resonant. Obviously, there's no animals harmed in this, but the depictions were (laughs) grotesque, you know? I mean, it's almost like an animal death camp or something like that. I can see how it could upset people, but I mean, you know, that's the point. The flashbacks were the emotional, well, I wouldn't, now now I'm taking that back. I don't think they're necessarily the emotional center of the film, but they were extreme, to me, very resonant. It was horrifying to watch. The flashbacks maybe misquoting this, but there's
0: an 87-minute film there in its own right because the film was yeah. almost three hours long. I love the interplay between the current day and the flashbacks. We spoke to Dennis Hopeless about Heart Eyes, did and spoke to him about his writing technique and the way that his is almost conversational in the way that a chorus and verses in music. You have the almost serious notes of the verses and then the upbeat choruses that can come in and all this, like, a setup in and a release, the capture and release, of course, the verse. And I think what this did really well was if there was a heartwarming moment in the flashbacks, it would be brought into a tragic or a desperate scene in the current day. And likewise, if it ended on a tragic or desperate scene, then it would come back to the Guardians where it would be a very punchy, upbeat scene. It's kind of one of those whereby the best editing you don't realise. Now this, the interchange, the editing was incredible because I usually can pinpoint with almost pristine accuracy, the part of the film where I can tap out and say, I know this is going to be the pee sequence where everyone's standing around talking about what's going to happen and where they're going to go next. I sat there for almost three hours. Fuck, I can't wait any longer. I've got to go for a pee. And that is a testament to pristine editing. The interchange kept you interested, like continuously kept you interested. This is a rocket-centric film. And surprisingly, he was taken out of action for the first half of the film. It was strange how present Rocket was, but yet he was passive for
1: the first half of the film. I, one thing I noticed about him is how great of a voice actor Bradley Cooper is. I guess I had noticed that before, but it's really impressive this time around. You can tell like, he really gives life to this character. So the fact that he was sort of inert for the first two-thirds or three-quarters of the present-day timeline... The flashbacks to when he was little and when he's an adult back in that previous timeline, I thought were just like really incredibly resonant. I thought Bradley Cooper was amazing in this. And you forget that it is Bradley Cooper until you remind yourself.
0: (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) it seems like a contradiction, but you'll be sitting there and you'll go, oh shit, that's Bradley Cooper. Like there's never any Bradley Cooper inflection on the character.
2: It was amazing. Awesome. I had to consciously go, shit, that's Bradley Cooper.
1: Exactly that. Did he do the um the baby rocket stuff too, or is that altered in some way? Do you guys know whether that I was I think exactly? it would have
0: been put through like the equivalent of an auto tune that would have been pitched. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And another one that you don't ever, you, you'll just be sat there and go, oh shit,
1: yeah, Vin Diesel. Vin
0: Diesel's in the MCU. Yeah, no, <laughs> it is it's crazy. Fucking, it is crazy, isn't it, mate? It is.
1: At the end, when he says, I love you guys, I, you could totally tell. Do you
0: know what's go.
2: significant about that? When he says it, no one flinches speaking English. Yeah. You yeah. know why? It's, it's a Blair Witch moment. It's because we now understand what I am group means when he says I am group. Do you reckon? Yeah, that's what it is. So it's not that he's now speaking English. It's that we now understand Grootish. Right. Interesting. So when you get an opportunity,
0: watch that scene again When he just goes, I love you guys. No one goes, hey. One of the things about the whole I am Groot thing, whatever his language is, when Thor understands him and people go, oh, yeah. you, you understand that? He was like, yeah, it was an optional at h- high school or whatever. Yeah. Said, In that Brilliant. way that Chris Hemsworth just isn't funny. Oh, yes, it was an option. It was an optional. And everyone's pissing themselves. I'm like, he's just using a funny voice. Yeah. <laughs> That's all he does. He isn't funny. But the one thing that gets me about that is all the characters are speaking different languages constantly, but they have a universal interpreter, whether it's in them or in their ears or whatever it is, all the time. And that's why they're all speaking English. So why is Groot's language the only one that doesn't work in the international interpreter? Why is he still, I am greeting everything, when Mantis is probably, like, rubbing her wings together to communicate sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. Explain me that, Tim. Explain <laughs> me that. That's the right face to pull, Brian. Fucking <laughs> confusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but,
2: okay, we well, are going to do that? I mean, no one could understand the children's language apart from Drax. Well, why didn't you tell us? And then he quite rightly said, because you didn't ask. I kind of feel <laughs> like it
0: was a need-to-know situation, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 come on, Drax dude. All over. Come on, that's Drax all over. He's Mr. Obvious and Mr. Literal. Do
0: you <laughs> know what I loved about Drax in this one? Because this is the thing that irked me in Guardians Volume 2, that they took him away from everything's literal and just made him a dum-dum. And mm. they never addressed that. Because when he says to Mantis towards the end of Volume 2, you're beautiful. And she's like, oh, really? And he goes, on the inside. Like, okay, literally what you're saying, she's got beautiful yeah. organs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah, stick, yeah. stick stick to yeah. your own fucking rules or, or just don't have the rule to start <laughs> with. What I like in this is that they addressed it by saying, no, he's just stupid. It tweaked the character and it sort of made me go, okay, I can just watch Guardians 2 now and it's okay. Yeah, mm. mm-hmm. But
2: uh, yeah, I think what Mantis said about him was
0: so heartfelt. Oh, it's pretty she, You know, when she
2: was gunning uh, Nebula, saying "No everything has to be intellectualised, you know, yeah, that's not yeah, the yeah. only thing that matters. We- he makes us laugh. Yeah. And he's an important part, and we all love him. Fuck, he does.
0: Fuck, I do. You know, <laughs> just yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. With
2: everything that she
0: said. And when he has yeah. a heartfelt or somber moment, I feel yeah. like the Drax moments are the most powerful. He's this physically strong, the most physically empowered person. So then when he becomes mild and introspective, it has these real clear, emotive sensitive moments and because of that juxtaposition they always hit me well I wouldn't say more than the others but they seem more pertinent mm,
1: mm. Mm-hmm.
0: and let's face yeah. it Drax and Mantis together are just so adorable They're great <laughs> chemistry I mean Pom Clementi, I buy into it if I was to watch her in anything else now I wouldn't be able to separate her like she mm-hmm. is Mantis
1: yeah yeah She's so good in that role.
0: Dude, in the Christmas special when she's gone all four, she's almost insect-like, and she's yeah. sort of scurrying after him. I'm like, no, run! <laughs> and she, there was an element to that in the hallway battle where she was yeah. expediently just kicking ass. Because you forget, really, that these are the best of the best like we have a lot of superheroes and these are the guys that are the best and they're the ones that have the staying power and they they're the man city of superhero teams they're the guys that always (laughs) fucking win do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean even when they go a goal behind we'll let you celebrate that goal but don't worry about it we'll be back yeah we'll be back mate what's that nil nil at halftime Wait till the second half motherfuckers. Do you know
2: what I mean? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah no, they
2: were was good. That whole way scene was these guys know their shit. You should have known better. Amazing.
0: It's amazing. And I loved the evolution of Group from what we had in the first film, which I know was a different group, and this is yeah, like yeah. the son of Group kind of thing. To see him going from a sapling to mm-hmm. when the first post-credit scene when he oh giant <laughs> Towering because he yeah. again at this point, he was kind of like the steady eddy of the group. He was, What do yeah. I need to do? How do I do it? To see the playfulness of baby group and then the stubborn and uh, contrary teenage group to teenage this, idea. and then to see him fully realized in the final yeah. Yeah. A thoughtful character progression. And I'm you like... touched on it, Brian, but James Gunn is so good with characters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I want that
2: toy with all the guns. Like it's fucking phenomenal. That was, uh, yeah, yeah, that was fucking yeah, it's amazing. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but yeah. Wow, it's just amazing. Like everyone had their art, everyone. and also it's with Groot.
0: Great. If they'd have kept the original Groot, they've already portrayed him as a bit of a dope, and because he would have been like a really old. I imagine anyway, he would have mm. been a. a like in early human ages, would have been really old. Yeah, yeah. So he's already got these burnt-in instincts and burnt-in tendencies. Whereas when you recreated the character, it gave you a lot more... It gave him more agency. He wasn't a sidekick. He wasn't a... A comic relief character. He was allowed to progress from that because James Gunn kickstarted it in volume two.
2: In volume two, when he was saying stuff, and Rocky was like, oh, that's disgusting. Like, and now it, I don't think he said anything that people were like, going, no, we can't do that. He was really sensible, actually. And even what he said to Adam Warlock was like, why? I tried to kill you. Everyone deserves a second chance. If you had a favorite character, in the Guardians, you'd be questioning who that favorite character is. Yeah. yeah. Right now, everyone had
0: phenomenal lines. Beautiful and amazing. One line. You mentioned Gamora a moment ago. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel James Gunn dealt with the situation at hand in love? Loved how
2: she... it. Loved it. Loved it. The reality of her actually getting the opportunity to find out who this motherfucker is and why could any. Any version of her even loved this guy. How is that possible? Even when she applauded his killing, his cunning, his ability to actually do what he says he's going to do. And they ended up in that cliche scene on the floor. There was no kiss coming. Yes. And tellingly, so when Adam Warlock saves him, he's like, no, he's not Princess Leia. Let's bring him down. (laughs) And they all hug him. Such a powerful moment. And you're like, go on, Gamora, do it it and she does exactly what she did at the end of Endgame in that deleted scene if you haven't seen it yet she just exits that. stage later yeah, this, oh, yeah 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 just walks off just walks up. like i'm not involved if you think about it is that enough to change her possibly but if you think about it in terms of time frame it was what 72 hours you you can't
0: change your whole being in that time I don't know. I think you meet people. I think people can. As well, it's the classic that when he was pining after her, it's Mm. off-putting. And this is just the same in real life. When you're chasing, the harder you chase, the less likely to to be with that person because you're positioning yourself at a point of weakness and weakness Mm. isn't attractive. But when he shows... Uh, you know, his herodom, his bravery, his agency, and he's yeah. actually moved on from her to an extent more accepting. I think there is flow whereby Gamora is at a point, she understands the situation, and they could have played it for laughs the whole film, but they didn't. They had the one gag in the spacesuits, which was great. Even in that, She's probably been quite aggressively pursued at this point, but she's kind of like, look, I'm just not your Gamora. And he's like, well, as you said, if a Gamora can be with me, you might be able to if you allow yourself to. And she's just like, look, Quinn, (laughs) because it's it's Quill. She goes, okay, whatever. I'm just not your Gamora. And I think she handles it pretty well. She's written as somebody that is emotionally intelligent, emotionally aware. That doesn't prevent her from being involved with the Guardian. She understands the yeah. history that was there, at least yeah. for Quill. And I loved it. She was a ravager because where else would she be at this stage?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she's loved her quote unquote dead, um, saved the universe. But that doesn't change who she was intrinsically, which was an assassin stroke murderer. So she has to fly some of the hardest motherfuckers in town and run that shit. <laughs> it, it follows through. I was just sitting there going, pay attention, Tyker. You don't take a gag and repeat it at infinitum. Oh, you do it. We get it and you move on. Exactly like what you just said. They could have just done that whole thing where he was piling after her and saying yeah. stuff and embarrassing himself. And, but the seriousness of how Gunn treated it, and it was just like, wow. Yeah. Get the message. It's
0: not a joke. This ain't happening, bro. It's mm. just what you've pinpointed perfectly is the difference between characterization and a caricature. YTT mm. had made them caricatures. Yeah. It's a very different style of writing. With YTT you have it's kind of almost like magical realism. It's a heightened version of real-world stakes. There is tragedy in it but almost like in a Wes Anderson film where there's accents that almost put the characters in the uncanny. Whereas James Gunn yeah. Writes people true, but he puts accents of humour, comedy aspects on top of that. That's yeah. not the base that he writes from.
2: That's a really astute point. It's about the humanity of the character first, and then the humour comes out of the funny situation that they're in. That's the core difference, is the problem that you've quite clearly illustrated you have
0: with Thor and Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> he <just, laughs> tries just... to be
2: funny. Yeah. Look,
0: dude, I was flying that flag at Ragnarok. and Nobody wanted to listen. And all I say to you motherfuckers is you got the <laughs> film you deserved. I warned <laughs> you. I said you can't have Ragnarok with people making fart jokes. Mm. Right, what everybody doesn't know is we just had a little comfort break. So we're going to pick it up now. I know it seems like to you it was moments, mere moments indeed. But to us... It was days. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um so to yeah, quickly go through some of the supporting cast. I like the way that uh, Craglin had evolved, had more agency, and he seemed to be, you know, one of the front players. I like the way he'd evolved out of the Shadow of Yondu, which I think started in Guardians Volume 2. I like the evolution of Nebula as well with the kind of Stark tech and the way that Rocket had adapted the Wakandan white wolf arm with Stark tech that he would have been familiar with after Endgame. Cosmo was fantastic. Uh, Bakalava mm. is just adorable in anything that she does. But at the same time, I mean, the whole Bad Boy skit, what, what, <laughs> I just loved it. Do you know, oh, it was it was he was like, you can't say that. That's not, you're not allowed to yeah. say that word. That's, that's our <laughs> word and we don't even say that word. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I love the cast in general. I, <laughs> the dog stuff was so fun. The good dog stuff was just so funny. It didn't get old. It, it actually, know. it perfectly illustrates like the personality of a dog too. Yeah. If you were to imagine what a dog would say to you, if you could have it <laughs> translate, that's exactly what it would say. If, if put in that position, I thought it was great. I thought in general, the cast was incredible. My only complaint, I said at the beginning, like I have maybe just few nits to pick, but the only thing I didn't love is I didn't really love the Warlock character. I thought that was yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of a device. I, I don't know if, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, okay, I had to get the plot going. I mean, it was basically just like a plot device, ultimately, to me. Yeah, it was.
0: And I think the whole film could have, you could have put a N other. Yeah existing character in that role. And I can imagine genuine Adam Warlock fans being very much having their nose put out of joint with the characterization. Thinking about the characters that James Gunn
2: has in his film, from Peacemaker to the Suicide Squad, it would take, you know, like weasel, the window licker, the polka dot man, and he can Mm. do that with the most weird, strange, out of place person and make you root for them, you know, from floor to teeth, but it's a CGI effect wriggling on the floor, giggling. Mm-hmm. That is amazing work. Peacemaker, the story arc, he had to kill Rick Flagg. Is he a hero? Is he not a hero? The questioning of himself, validating himself and the father issues. Brilliant, but all wrapped around a, a lovable lump that has real issues to sort out. It, he's really good at doing that.
0: Before we get into it, there's one glaring omission <laughs> so far from this discussion and that is the high evolutionary he as a character i think actually started off pretty good that quiet menace but by the end of it he ended up just being a standing shout mustache twiddler it finished off very much in the same way most mcu i thought at one point when the city the world's being destroyed by his uh, what you think is a building but it's actually a spaceship coming out <laughs> from the side of the world and then he eviscerates the population. There's a mutiny on deck, and they all turn and point the guns at him. At that point, I was like, please make this his end. Please don't give us a superhero battle. If they had done that at that point, it would have been a brave but very well-functioning end to the antagonist in this film. What it ended up being was another superhero battle. However, I had a problem with... Adam Warlock comes in, destroys the Guardians, but then the High Evolutionary controls him with the flick of a finger, Adam Warlock. So you've got this acceleration of prowess. So I'm thinking at that point, how do the Guardians ever battle him? Because they can't even battle the subordinate at this point. What I like was in the same way that they defeated Thanos, which was he might be powerful, but he can only exert that power as quickly as he can think about it so mm-hmm. it was just relentless one attack after another after another after another so he never collected his thoughts long enough to be able to either redirect or defend or counterattack however i felt that the climax of this was still very much mcue ilu you you i'll agree definitely... to, um, and i'll
2: add i think he's not a meta human i think he's got a device I and mean, i think the first shot rocket took was to take okay. it out and then they bomb rushed him yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I personally love everything that the High Evolutionary's done is just fucked. It's just yeah. fucked. We know the power that Jonathan Majors brought to Kang. But I'm sorry, Gravitous. Chuck Woody just shat on it. You think? When, yeah, I think that he just mm. took it to another level of uh, no justification, no fucking about how I'll kill you. There was only the bit is soliloquy when will go swim. I'm not interested in your mother issues, and that's yeah. the only time you kind of caught him doing that.
0: I yeah. felt like that's how his character finished. He just sort of stood and shouted at people with increase. It was like watching John Boyega <laughs> in actual fact. Like <laughs> really, he hated doing all of that. He hated it's in the every film, though, script. mate. Yeah, yeah, He even did it in the advert of the cinema for Don't Talk in the Cinema and Put Your Phones Away, where he just stood there, looked at the camera directly, cocked his body, and then screamed and ran. The guy can't fucking act. I ain't, I ain't taking it, mate. John, if you're listening, give it up now. <laughs> but I did feel that the High Evolutionary did get to a little bit of that sort of... Just shouting, it's going wrong. If I shout louder, then hopefully it'll change. But yeah, I mean, look, we're allowed our own opinions on it, Brian, and I respect you as a colleague, Thank a friend, you. and as a commentator.
1: Tim, <laughs> <laughs> anything to add to that? I just have a question. So when they take the skin off the mask,
2: yeah, and his oh face is on me, hang-
1: was that from when Rocket yeah, attacked you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah
1: How yeah. gruesome was that? that look, yeah. Was dude,
0: crazy. between that, that and the bad. first MCU F bomb, Exactly. I know, oh, yeah. I was like, was how? Yeah. They said shit a bunch as well. Like, yeah. like oh, shit, no, shit, shit, shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, dude. You just like, open the fucking door. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> I know, I was like, what? what? Yeah.
2: <laughs> they earned that 12A certification. Bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was funny.
0: Do you think The whole thing was powered by the high evolutionary wanting to know why Rocket was so intelligent and why he had self-awareness and the capacity for learning where the other ones were basically well-mannered golems. Do you think that in that scene where the baby raccoons retreat when they see the hand and Rocket is at the front of the cage curious... Do you think that he had the intelligence, and when the high evolutionary souped him up, they just souped up what was already in rocket, or do you think as the high evolutionary did, that there was a part of the process that was a minutiae different that
1: empowered rocket's intelligence and gave him self awareness and agency? That's a very good question I don't know i I don't know if we have too many clues, I guess I want to think it's innate in rocket, I think that um, too, yeah, but i don't I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting observation, though, that he's the one who, that doesn't retreat at that moment. I think I want to believe that it's, it's something innate in him and that it's just enhanced in some way by whatever the surgical or machinations that the high evolutionary imposes on him. Before I make an answer, what's
2: interesting is how evolution is seemed to be the ability to talk as a human and stand upright bipedally. And I'm yeah, like, yeah.
0: how is that evolution? Yeah. There is a, there's a genetic switch called uh, Fox uh, p 7 um, which appeared in multiple species all of a sudden, which was the genetics to be able to speak and to be able to produce vocal cords and to have the additional intelligence to communicate through sound. And it's a really mysterious one. It's part of the reason why I don't actually think evolution. I don't even think Darwin, this whole survival of the fish. I think it's been misquoted time and again over over its course of like 200 years or whatever, however long um, origins of the species was. And I don't think even he believed in evolution as it's being portrayed now. I think there's a lot of anomalous creation of genetic code across multiple species. Like the eyes, for instance, eyes generated roughly about the same time in over 20 different instances in different species. So we have these massive jumps. Now that is against the whole idea of survival of the fittest, but the Fox P7, gene when it appeared was one of those evolutionary leaps that happened almost simultaneously through multiple species. Science, bitch! (laughs) I'm
2: loving that. I'm loving that. We have the high evolution among us. (laughs) But to answer your question, or and to answer your question, I'm taking my lead from what was in the film. And when Lila said to him, it's not yet your time, the, uh, brought by the high evolutionary, he's guided by the hands that guide the hands. There is a deeper, deeper, deeper thread to this. Is it another Celestial? Is it? Was it Ego? Who
0: knows? Who knows? I felt the soundtrack was a bit ill-fitting, narratively blunderbuss. When I heard Radiohead's Creep, the acoustic version of that, I thought, great, if we're doing 90s, let's go with 90s like Captain Marvel did. Sometimes it felt like flicking through the music channels. It felt forced. There was no need for a song to be at this position. And also, how do you go from No Sleep to Brooklyn from Radiohead Creep, but then we're going back to a 70s banger, pop banger?
1: Yeah. Agree completely. Almost like a parody of the original soundtrack approach. Constantly getting these songs. It didn't even bother me, like the schizophrenia with which they bounce back and forth between different eras. It was just like, we don't have to constantly have music going.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was a bit jarring what if you don't know that music what if you yeah. don't know the beastie boys what does that say mm. you know it does all those kind of things yeah, yeah. whereas if you do it like once or twice
0: great but <laughs> there's no need for it otherwise and also whenever i hear moon Age daydream now it immediately makes me think of guardians of the galaxy there was no <laughs> oh dude i fucking love bowie so much let's not go down that okay final <laughs> one One of the post credit scenes showed the inverted commas new, but I can't imagine it'll stick. Guardian's team, it had uh, Cosmo, it had the little creature, it had Rocket Bakun, it had Groot, it had Kraggling, and it had... uh, When you look at it, I was like, oh, this seems a little bit of a shitty team. However, on closer inspection, that's a very high-powered team. And two... It doesn't set up expectation for as and when anybody picks this up. You know, Star-Lord will return. It didn't say in mm-hmm. what. But it gives you a level whereby the next person, it's, oh, shit, you didn't you beat a Ray Bill sort of thing. I think I
2: agree with with all of that. Groot is a mainstay. Rocket is a mainstay. Cool. Yeah. You've got as anchors in the main team. Exactly. You've got anchors in the main team. But that's what I also love about it, is that it mirrors the comics that, hey, we can have a new team and they still be the Guardians. That's <clears> great. With the after-credit scene at the end of Endgame, what was the sound? Tony's ammo, right? ping, ping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at yeah. the end of this, what do we get? <laughs> the crockery and the spoon, yeah, yeah, it, Brilliant, mate, brilliant. Yeah. Loved
0: it, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> great, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'm just about done. I think we'll just, I think this is an obvious one, but we'd all recommend people go and see this as soon as possible, will not we?
1: Oh, absolutely, oh, definitely, yeah,
0: yeah, GIF. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. us. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to share this afternoon, stroke this morning with you both. And thank yeah. you very much for coming on. Goodbye
2: to the listeners, gentlemen, gentlefolk, ladies and gems.
1: Tune in next time. It's been a pleasure. So uh, everyone should see this. It's awesome. Nice talking to you guys. So that really leaves me, your regular co-host Matt. And thank
0: you very much for sticking with us to the end. As always, please follow us if you've made it to this point, which I know you can because the analytics tell me the retention's there. And some of you, for some reason, are listening to this for the first time, getting to the end and not thinking, I want to hear what these guys got to say in the future. So I want you to click subscribe, follow, whatever, whatever, whatever. And that only leaves me one more thing to say. We happy? And this is the end. (laughs)
2: I love that fucking love that (laughs)